Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn back to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to con- conclude our, our look at some of the songs of, of the Savior, looking at a passage that, while familiar, because we've probably all read it as we've done our Bible, Bible readings through the year or as you've read through the Christmas story or whatnot, but you may have kind of read it and wondered, how does this fit into, into all of this? How does this fit into uh, the Christmas season? How does this even fit into the life of Christ? Because it seems kind of a, an odd little passage to be stuck uh, right in a spot that, that we find it. If you have the Bible, your Bibles, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 38. If you will, join me. Uh, let's please rise in honor of God's Word. And join me in reading of the word. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said of the law in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As I I mentioned, this is a, a passage that we've probably all read uh, maybe we're somewhat familiar with it, but it, it's often difficult to see how does this tie into the whole of the Christmas story and to the songs of the Savior. And, and again, I'm taking a little, little bit of liberty with that phrase, songs, uh, in that these are words spoken, but I, I will point out there are a couple places where I can actually see, in my mind anyways, and I pray that you will too, can see singing occurring and going on within the worship and within the, uh, the setting. So where we pick up, we pick up with Mary and Joseph coming down from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It was unlikely that they had gone home all the way to Nazareth at this time and then turned around to come all the way back. 
Bethlehem was about six to 10 miles from Jerusalem. It was on their, actually on their way home. It would it logically makes far more sense that this was on their, on their trip back. They stop in Jerusalem to take care of some uh, legal things, so to speak, that they had to do. Some uh, spiritual things, but yet bound by the law of God. Forty days after Jesus' birth, uh, we read that in the ESV that they, uh, in verse 22, and when the time f- came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And the question that pops up right there that many commentators wrestle with is who is the there referring to? Is it referring to Mary and Joseph? Is it referring to, to Joseph Mary and Jesus. Is it referring to Jesus and Mary or Jesus and Joseph? It's unclear. What we do know is there are some aspects of the law that do help to clarify it a little bit. Uh, First is uh, uh, that of Mary's responsibility. Now, I will say in relation to the there that it was unlikely that a, a, a mom carrying a child would have traveled by herself. So the likelihood is that they were all there, that Joseph was a part of this ceremony, going back to my reasoning as to why they probably stayed in Bethlehem, because of the birth, the mom was considered unclean for those 40 days, and it would not have been proper, though it could have been done with Joseph yelling, unclean, 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 as they're walking through cities and towns and and declaring to everybody that they needed to stay away from Mary. Uh, That would be kind of unlikely, They stayed in Bethlehem. They're now heading back home. They stop in Jerusalem in order to fulfill the the responsibilities of purification, the removal of the uncleanness. They come together, and, and, and I would submit that the there is referring now to Mary and to Jesus as far as the responsibilities. We read in Leviticus 12, uh, verses 2 through 4, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. Uh, And in this case, the, the offering for a poor woman would be a pigeon or a turtle dove, which we read here uh, in this passage in verse 24. It was also a time to come and to dedicate Christ. As you heard in the previous passage, he was circumcised on the eighth day. The seven days of of her impurity plus the 33 days that followed, that gives us the 40 days. So that's how we arrive at this number 40 that we find here. But she also had to come not just to purify herself, but to dedicate the firstborn son. We read in Exodus 13, beginning in verse 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then down in verses 12 through 15 of that same chapter, You shall set apart to the Lord all all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall be... You shall redeem with a lamb, and if you, shall, if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time you come to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? 
You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of the, the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males uh, that first opened the womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So here was the law. They were, had to redeem their son, the firstborn, to bring him back. The only sons that were not redeemed, so to speak, uh, were the Levites and the priests, the, the family of Aaron. They were then dedicated to the Lord. An example of this you could see with Samuel, if you go back into the Old Testament, where his mother brought him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord, and he stayed there with Eli and became a priest. Here, Jesus was not of the priestly family. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was redeemed as the firstborn so that he didn't have to go into that servitude in, in the, the Levitical way. He was redeemed back by an offering, and that offering being the turtle dove, uh, the pair of turtle doves or the two young pigeons. We then see waiting in the, in the sanctuary there, waiting in the temple is this man named Simeon, waiting to see God work as uh, many of us know waiting is sometimes the hardest thing to do. We're not told how old Simeon is, uh, like we are with Anna a few verses later. Anna, we know, is 84. Simeon, we're not told, but we can get some hints also from the passage. The fact that it says that he was near death tells us that he was older in life. Now, again, the lifespan of, uh, in that age was a little different than it may be today. So he may have been, I, my guess would be probably mid-60s, uh, early 70s at, at the oldest. He was uh, moving towards the end and had been praying and looking for the Lord. He'd been waiting along with all of Israel for thousands of years for the coming Messiah. Remember, the Savior, the Messiah, was promised first in Exodus 3, I mean, in Genesis 3.15. In the garden, the promise was made, and it was made over and over and over again. And if, uh, an interesting comment that comes out of this uh, is this title given to Anna, Anna, uh, a prophetess, Anna, because they had now gone 400 years since the time of the, the return from the Babylonian exile with Haggai and Zechariah and Zephaniah, uh, Malachi being the last. Malachi prophesied 400 years before Christ was born, and there had been no other prophecy. So I'm wondering when I read that passage, a prophetess Anna, what was she prophesying if she wasn't prophesying about the Lord? Uh, if there hadn't been a prophecy for 400 years. Just an interesting aside there that I, uh, I've wondered about. There'd been no announcement, no fanfare, no warning, no, no, hey, come on, guys, the Savior's coming. Nothing had been waiting. So day after day, Simeon and Anna go to the temple. They pray. Uh, they worship the Lord. Always looking forward, the phrase that the ESV uses, looking forward to the consolation, waiting for the consolation of Israel, uh, the, the hope uh, is the word that's used there, the, the hope. It raises the question for us, what is hope? When we talk about hope. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines it as to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or be true. We all know about that. We just went through Christmas, and if you have the children or grandchildren, they all hoped to get it, getting certain things. Our, our grandson was wanting one of the, the uh, Paw Patrol towers. And he was, it was so hilarious. He was hoping for it uh, that every single box, it didn't matter what size, he asked, is this the tower? 
is this the tower? <laughs> he, you, the little teeny box. He wanted to know if it was the tower. He, he just was hoping so hard for it. Here, Anna and Simeon are hoping and uh, waiting for it. And, and as I mentioned, we all have that. We see it every day in our lives. And, and in many ways, we hope for a nice day. We hope for a spouse or children or grandchildren. We hope for a good job. We hope for a great meal. We have hopes that our team will win. We have all kinds of hopes. You may notice what I did there is I, I switched and I put in the plural there because we tend to use it in the plural. But in the Bible, what's interesting is that the Scripture almost exclusively uses that word in the singular, the hope. It's used 151 times in the, in the English Standard Version, which I've been reading out, and, and every one of those is in the singular. In our passage, we find today waiting, on, uh, waiting for the consolation. Other translations will translate it, the hope of Israel. Again, the singular. And while in the Bible we have a clear definition of faith, I refer you to Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's not a clear definition verse, not a clear verse that says this is what hope is. There's lots of pictures, lots of illustrations of hope throughout the scriptures. Most we find in the, in the Psalms with references pointing everybody to the singular hope of God. Simeon and Anna, we find, have been following the psalmist and put their hope in the covenant promises. The promise that there would be a Messiah. That he would raise up an heir to the Davidic kingdom who would reign forever. That he would raise up a Christ. And Jesus comes into the temple in the arms of Mary. And instantly they know it has come. He is here. Hope is now reality. God had promised Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And while we're not privy to the hows of the promise, only to the extent of the promise, we see him rejoicing and praising God and singing a song as he realizes hope fulfilled. J.C. Ryle, writing on this passage, writes this, he says, the things of God's kingdom are often hid from the great and noble and revealed to the poor. The busy labor of the hands need not prevent a man being favored with special communion with God. Moses was keeping sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Elisha was plowing when they all were severally honored by direct calls and revelations from God. Let us resist the suggestion of Satan that religion is not for the working man. The weak of the world are often called before the mighty. The last are often first, and the first last. Here were two ordinary people, two working class folk, who God was now confirming the, the hope that they'd been praying for their entire lives. I again turn back to Anna. Think about that. For 84 years, she'd been praying for the Messiah. Imagine praying for anything for your entire life, let alone 84 years. I know I get frustrated praying for something during the day to happen that day. Imagine day after day after day for 84 years. 
70, 77 of those with the realization, I've lost the one man in my life and now I'm seeking the man in my life. The sight of this child leads Simeon, we read in verse 29 through 32, to, to praise the Lord. Where we find now Simeon rejoicing for what he had been hoping for, the hope that he had. First, we see the fulfillment of God's word. It was a promise given to him, not just in the scriptures, but look in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He had been given the word of God in ways that we may not understand because we haven't experienced that type of a revelation but the Lord revealed to him that he would and gave him the word that he would see the, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would fulfill all those scriptural prophecies that he'd been reading for all those years, all those promises that he'd been hearing preached for all those years. He now got to see it. Second, he, he would get to see the Savior face to face. Again, think about that. What is the one thing that we as Christians should be longing for? And I pray that we do. Is that we, like Simeon, would one day, will one day be able to see the Lord face to face. We talk about our salvation and I want to remind us that our salvation, our profession of faith is only the first part of the salvation. We won't see the fullness of of that salvation until that day that we see the Lord face to face. And here's Simeon being blessed before he dies with the privilege that we wait to die for to see, to see the Savior face to face. Thirdly, we can learn from this that the God, God's salvation was not to be a hidden act, but was prepared and placed before all who could see. Mary and Joseph weren't hiding Christ as they came into the temple that day. They came in for a presentation. It was a public ceremony, much like a baptism that we would have. It was to be before the congregation. The congregation was a part of it. This Savior was not a hidden Savior. This Savior was being laid before and prepared for and, and presented before them. There were no special rites. There's no rituals, no mysterious, cer or mysterious ceremonies, only for the special people. This was a public pronouncement through this public act that they were going through. And surprisingly, we find that only two people there even realized what was going on. Here was Jesus, born in a stable, witnessed as we saw by we don't know how many shepherds. You read later in Matthew about the kings who came a little later. Uh, again, times there are confusing a little bit, but these kings come. The, peop, the, the shepherds told everybody they could. We read about that. This, was, this Messiah was already, this Christ was already being witnessed uh, by many. He would then grow and live as a man, we read later in this chapter, in the very last verse, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was there before everybody. He wasn't hidden away. This wasn't something mysterious happened. He walked, he talked, he sang, he ate, he taught right out in the open. Because the Messiah 
was there to be seen. And fourth, we read that he was the light and glory, a light in verse 32, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel. He came as a light to the Gentiles, fulfilling what Israel could never do, calling the Gentiles back to God. If you look through and, and uh, through the scriptures, every book of the Bible has what is called a great commission passage. In the Old Testament, most of them actually use that phrase, a light unto the nations or a light unto the Gentiles as that, that passage. And Simeon, in singing his song, acknowledges now and states that this baby I'm holding in my hands, this baby is that light. That very light that we were called to be now exists in this child. Then he was also the glory, to be the glory of Israel. Israel, God's chosen people, were chosen again to be the nation of the Savior of the world. And what's so confusing and in some ways disheartening is they were chosen to be the bearers of the glory of God. And instead, they chose to kill and crucify that very same baby. So I wonder, what are you hoping for today? Now that we're few days past Christmas, maybe you're hoping that that gift that got lost in the mail will suddenly arrive. Maybe you're hoping to find the right person or land the right job. Hoping to win the lottery or to, to buy a new house or hoping for a new car or, or hoping just to live another day. All of these will prove to be false hopes in the end. Simeon and the scriptures and Anna point us to the one place that we are to place our hope. The Savior of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Simeon waited for him to come the first time. We now await the consolation of Israel the second time. We now wait with hope for that, that his return. We don't have to wait to know that we're saved, that's a blessing, right? We don't have to wait for our salvation in that sense. We wait for the fullness of it. We wait for the, the wholeness of it. Right now, we look, as the scriptures say elsewhere, in a mere dimly. We see only the partial picture of that salvation, and we wrestle with our sin nature and with life in Christ, but there will come a day where we will stand before the king and we will see him face to face, and then we will know the fullness of that salvation. And so we wait and we pray like the Apostle John at the end of Revelation 22. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Simeon <clears throat> allowed God to use him where he proclaimed the salvation found in Jesus as, as we've seen just a few moments ago and he begins to sing his praises with no concerns about, about what anyone else might think. And I want us to understand this. Here's Simeon in the midst of the temple. And the temple was a busy place. You know, it wasn't a quiet, 
uh, uh, monastery or, or, or sanctuary like we might see on television shows when someone walks into the cathedral and there's a person there with a, a whole bunch of candles lit, lit around it. The temple was the center of activity in Jerusalem. Everything revolved around the temple. The leaders sat in the, in the gates in order to be seen, and, and decisions were made. And in the court, there was prayer going on, and there was divided up into groups and different people in different places. And so what Simeon was doing was very public at that point. And he begins to sing this song. Sharing of what God had done to him. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. And then we read in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. We should not be so naive as to think that Mary and Joseph were instantly assured of everything that was said about Jesus because of that visit by the shepherds or the visit from the, the Magi. They were still wrestling with it as any of us would. What's our child going to grow up to be like? What's going to happen? What did all this mean? What, what is really going on in our lives? What's going on in his life? All these questions were coming in. They, they were humans, of course. Doubts would creep in. They always do. And yet, everything that the angel had announced was taking place as far as this birth was concerned. And yet, there was still so much more to be seen. I mean, the baby's only 40 days old. How is all this going to happen? Everything that has been told about him was, on one hand, the already, but most of it was the not yet. so they're mystified, marveling at what he says. And this person they do not know, they had never met before, has suddenly come and, and taken the child from their arms and is, is holding him up and, and stating these things about him, majestic things about him. Wouldn't you marvel? What's going on? <clears throat> and as I mentioned, he's singing these praises. He's now saying all of this in the midst of the temple at the risk of the charge of blasphemy. Because not only were there lots of people there, there were lots of Levites and priests there. And he was making a public declaration. Look at, again what he said. My eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation of, to, for the, to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. What is he stating? But he's making a declaration that this baby is the Messiah. In the very same temple that Jesus would make messianic statements later on and then he would be condemned by the Sanhedrin for having committed what? Blasphemy. Simeon makes these statements. But not only was he willing to proclaim the gospel at this point, he was also willing to speak the hard words. Look at verses 35, uh, 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He shares with them four hard truths that are going to happen in the life of this child and in their lives. 
the child first, the, the child was appointed, was ordained, was set apart for the fall of many and the rise of many. He would be the standard barrier, bearer of faith, leading some to salvation and some to condemnation. No, because we, we believe and we understand that not everyone will be saved. We see that in the whole picture of the crucifixion later on. It's a doctrine that the church still wrestles with today. Some, uh, if we want to use the, the Calvinistic term of predestination, it's called double predestination. Some are predestined to salvation. Some are predestined to, to condemnation. Again, the church has been wrestling with that, that, that whole concept that why are some not saved and why are some saved? But we see here that he Simeon is pointing out to Mary, he's appointed, he's ordained, he's set apart for this purpose, that this wrestling is going to happen. Second, he's going to face opposition from Satan, we'll see in the next, uh, next uh, well actually it's in Matthew, the Satan where he's uh, taken out into the desert and tempted there, but then throughout the ministry he comes face to face with Satan in different ways but also from man, in particular, the very people that he was supposed to be the glory of. The people of Israel, the Jews, the religious of the day, who had the hardest time with Jesus. And again, think about, I try to keep this in mind and perspective as I'm thinking about it. Here's, here's Simeon in the temple amongst all of those religious people making this statement that had to have been shocking to everybody who heard it, not just Mary and Joseph. You know, what made this baby instead of the other two or three that were probably coming in that day too? His opposition, Jesus' opposition, ultimately did not come from the Gentiles, from the Romans, but from his own people. The very ones who profess to know the prophetic word, who profess to know the scriptures, who profess to know the laws, they were the one that ultimately would turn against him. And then he, would, he, Jesus, would later teach his own disciples, as he teaches us through the scriptures, <clears throat> that as he is opposed, they too and we too will be opposed. Thirdly, the, hard, hard, the third hard truth that Simeon shares with Mary and Joseph is that uh, what would happen to Jesus would cause great pain. After chapter 2 of Luke, we don't hear about Joseph ever again in the Scriptures. We don't know much about what happens to Joseph after Jesus turns 12. Extra-biblical writings state that he passed away, uh, but we know that he lived long enough that he and Mary had some other children uh, because there were some half-brothers and, and a, and a, and a half-sister. But we don't hear much about him. In fact, Simeon speaks, doesn't even speak to Joseph, he speaks to Mary and tells her that through her heart, uh, or a sword will pierce through her own soul. Not a literal sword, a spiritual sword is going to pass through that she's going to have pain as she sees what happens to her son, as she deals with the loss of her child. I can't imagine what that would be like to find out when your child is 40 days old that you're going to witness your child's death. 
She wasn't told when it was going to happen. Just that she was going to experience the pain of it happening. The final uh, thing that Simeon shares is that Jesus would reveal the hearts of men. The pain that he would face, his death and his resurrection would reveal the truth of men's hearts. The people that it was thought would praise and accept him would turn and kill him. But then as Ryle pointed out earlier, those that were thought least likely to come in praise and worship of him were the ones who actually came and followed him. So what can we learn from Simeon about God using us? First, God desires our praise and worship. And he encourages us to be bold about it. Simeon didn't hide his worship of the Lord. He didn't wait until everybody was gone to do this. He, he burst out in praise in the midst of the congregation. Even a great risk to himself. Second thing we can learn is that we, we don't need to shirk from speaking the hard truth. There will be times in every church and in every one of our lives that we will need to speak in love words that initially sound unloving, but are meant to bring about restoration and healing. Paul calls it later on in, in Corinthians a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 where we read, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There are times in our ministry, in our church, in our personal lives where we will have to lovingly confront that which opposes Christ and call wrong the wrongs and that which is in opposition to Christ, just that, in opposition to Christ. We're to seek reconciliation to Christ and to others. That's a ministry that we are to be carrying out, and we see this being proclaimed to us through Simeon here. Now, I don't want to leave Anna out, because Anna's story is there, too, for a purpose. We read in 36 through 38, we're given a little bit of picture of her life. It's a very short three-verse passage about her. But what we note from Anna is that she could do nothing but praise when she realizes who this child is. Both Simeon and Anna had waited and hoped into their final years. She was 84. For those of us here who are mature, uh, mature adults, encouragement to you. Uh, one of my professors, Dr. Will Norton, uh, used to live across the street from us when we were in seminary. I loved Dr. Norton to death. And and in our, my first congregation, he came to visit, and, and I asked him to come and preach. And, and he started off that message back, this was 30 years ago. He said, I'm, I'm 88 years old, uh, and I do not have time to retire. The Lord has too much work for me to do. He continued ministering until he was 102 when he finally passed away. But at 102, he was leading Bible studies in the care home that he was in. Because he understood that we don't retire from faith. Our faith is always with us. And here's Anna at 84 showing us the very same thing. She had hoped for, had the hope for the consolation of Israel, had the hope for the Lord to come. And so day after day, night after night, she was fasting and praying, praying that the Messiah would come. 
She had grown up her whole life being told the Messiah was coming. And like I said, they had not heard anything about the Messiah for 400 years. She was wishfully hoping and praying. And then when Simeon begins his words, Simeon begins his praying, his praise, she sees this child and she joins in the song. She arrives at the temple that day with the hope of the Messiah and leaves later that night with the realization of the Messiah. We read in verse 38 that she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, to, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jesus, or excuse me, for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I would note that she now was taking the very same risk that Simeon was taking. For she was making a proclamation that we see later on in the Gospels was considered blasphemy, that this baby was the Messiah. And so she thanks God. She praises God for what she's able to see, which is something that nobody else but her and Simeon at this point are able to see that here is the Messiah of the Lord. She recognized him at once and thanked God for the blessing. I wonder still, but I know it was the power of the Holy Spirit, how they both knew. Mary and Joseph and the baby walk in and, and it just all happens all of a sudden. Can only be the work of the Spirit, can I not? So she sees and tells others about Christ. She begins speaking about his redemption to all those who, who she knew were seeking his redemption. And I, I think that's an interesting note there. And coming up at this very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She didn't speak to just anybody. She spoke to the other folks that she knew were there waiting just like she was. Look what I found. Look who I found. This is him. It's a picture, an amazing picture to me. I, I see in my mind's eye this prim and proper senior citizen coming in, seeing this baby, and then breaking out into dance and song in praise at, at what she has seen and, and who this is. It's a picture similar to Miriam leading the people of, uh, of Israel uh, out of Egypt as she's singing and, and playing the tambourine. I see Anna now just bouncing around to all the people around her saying, it's the Messiah, it's the Messiah. The Lord is here. He's with us now. Telling everyone what she has seen and what he will do and offering praise to God. These past few weeks, we've tried to focus our thoughts on the Savior, calling to mind the words of Scripture that told of his coming, of the work of his salvation, and the hope that we're to have. As we finish up this, this mini-series, as we wrap up this celebration of the birth of Christ, I, I ask, do we have the same excitement that we see in Simeon and Anna, about the Christ child. Are you waiting and hoping for the Lord? We're blessed because we know of the first coming, but now we await the second. 
Is it a hope that you have that he will indeed come as he said? Are you being used of the Lord even in saying those tough words that have to be said at one time or another? Sharing with those who are waiting also. Some you know, some you don't. Of the coming of the Lord. Are you praising and thanking God for the life that you have in Christ Jesus? And the blessing that you know that the day will come when you will get to see him face to face. Brothers and sisters, if you answered no to any of those questions, I challenge you right now to hear the calling of the Lord, for he is calling, he's brought you here today to hear the calling of the gospel and to receive the salvation that can only come through Christ. Jesus Christ came that we might have life. He took our sins upon him, we read in the Gospels, upon him as he went to the cross. He bore them on the cross and said, Tetelestai, it is finished. They've been paid in full. He rose again to overcome the bounding, the bounding of death so that we now have life in him, cleansing and forgiveness in him. If you could not answer any of those previous questions, with a yes, hear those words of salvation and the call that he's issued to you. Come to me, you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Find your rest today in Jesus Christ so that we all can rejoice together when we see Christ again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you for the example of Simeon and Anna and the faith that they showed. May it be a lesson to us of the faith we should have. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith. And Lord, if there is anyone present here today who does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray, O oh God, that they would join the family of God and that together we would be able to rejoice and praise you and look to the day for your final return. Lord, we pray that it would come. Even today, O oh Lord, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, I pray that you would be with each of these dear folks, that you would put your hand upon them as they prepare to go into this week, that they would not lose sight of you, but would set their eyes upon you and be used for your glory, telling of the uh, being lights of the gospel to the lost and sharing the glory of the gospel to, to your people. And Father, may we gather together again soon to rejoice at the work that you're doing in and through us. Oh Lord, I thank you for this time, and I just lift up uh, these folks to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.